when you first got to the varsity football team at Galveston Ball High School, who was that first person to kind of kick your butt and welcome you to the varsity level competition? Uh, the first first person that, that kind of gave me that wake-up call was the guy by the name of uh, Derek Pope. Uh, so Derek was a senior. I was a sophomore. Uh, it was really the spring going into that year, spring football. And uh, I think I was having to be like a scout team lineman, and he was playing defensive end. And, and if y'all don't know, he played at the University of Alabama and played for the Miami Dolphins. So he's a pretty good player. And yeah. I had to pull on on GT counter, and I was the guard, and I had to kick him out. Well, you know, apparently he didn't do his job the first time, so, you know, that means we had to rerun the play, of course. And and he made sure he did his job the second time. And, unfortunately for me, that was about a, getting knocked 10 yards back in the backfield and, and probably having a pretty bad headache the next day. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy All right, welcome back to another episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 83 This episode I'm really excited about, this is a guy that I've kind of known of for a long time but We haven't really gotten a chance uh, to... Uh, to, to talk very much. We're both we're both class of 2002 graduates. We'll kind of talk a little bit uh, about that in the show, but he is now the head football coach at LaPorte High School. It's my honor to welcome Kevin Bernithi to the show. Appreciate that. Honored to be here. All right. Yeah. If you're a fan of the team player podcast, as usual, you know, as always, please take a minute, give us the five-star rating. Uh, we've got over 90 total ratings between uh, Google and Spotify, so appreciate that. If you haven't done it already, again, just take it just takes a second. We've still got a 5.0 rating, uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. And also, I would recommend just hit the follow button wherever you're listening to this, and that way you'll get a new episode in your queue every single Sunday uh, whenever uh, these new episodes come out. But all right, Coach, so let's talk about your background here. Now, you said you weren't there long, but this kind of surprised me. You were actually born in Williston, North Dakota. And uh, right. yeah, and I, I, my company that I work for now, Dactronics, is based out of Brookings, South Dakota. So I have been to that part of the country a little bit. But to tell us, where where is Williston? Uh, well, really, Williston is kind of on the North Dakota, Montana border. Okay. Um, northwest Montana, uh, Northwest North Dakota. So uh, my mom's from, from Helena, Montana. My dad's from, from Texas. Uh, he went to Midland High was uh, from Midland. And uh, so my dad at the time was in the oil business and um, he had to be work some uh, Williston, somewhere outside of Williston. And so that's just just where our, uh, our family was when I was when I was born. And then how long did it and you said you grew up, though, in, in, in Galveston. So how long did it take right. you to, to make that move back down into Texas? Yeah, so uh, we kind of moved around a lot because of the nature of my dad's job and uh, from Wyoming to Colorado to, you know, Montana, 
areas. And then uh, my dad decided that he wanted to become a coach again because he coached in his younger years and got out and wanted to get, get coached again. And uh, he was able to get a job uh, uh, at Ball High School in Galveston when I was seven years old. So uh, uh, Pat Culpepper was the head coach at the time, and he had had some ties to him from Midland back in the day. So uh, he got on it at Galveston Ball, and, and that's when we moved back to Texas. Now, yeah, G-Ball, the rock, you know, <laughs> I was able to, right. yep, a couple times uh, when I was at Ridgepoint, uh, we had get balls in our district, and so we got to go okay. travel down there and uh, really always enjoyed it, man. So just tell us, you know, because I'm I'm from the Sugarland area. I'm from Fort Bend, uh, played at Fort Bend Austin High School. And so just for, for those of us Houstonians that maybe we don't, we go down to the beach every now and then, but we haven't really gotten to know the town of Galveston, man. Tell, okay. tell us, what's the, what's the town, what's it like growing up in Galveston? I mean, growing up in Galveston is, is, was great. Um, you know, I was a part, you know, I was a field house kid, so I was always in the field house and uh, my dad would take me to the, to the school and, um, you know, always a part of the football deal. So it was great for me. You know, I saw a lot of great players uh, growing up, you know, like Casey Hampton, Derek Pope, yep. um, played with a guy named Lawrence Richardson who was a big time recruit out of ball and, uh, a lot of really good players uh, as far as that. But uh, as far as growing up in Galveston, I mean, it's a lot of the tourist stuff we we don't really do, you know. Right. Uh, you know, but just getting to know all kinds of different people and, and just, you know, you did get to experience things that when people would come into town like Mardi Gras and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I figure it's pretty typical, but um, – I wasn't much of a going to the beach type person, uh, but I mean, you could do all that whenever you wanted. Yeah. I mean, for me, the thing I love about Galveston coach, I just, I just love the breeze, man. I, it yeah. just feels great down there having that little bit of breeze coming in off the water, man. But that's, that's my favorite thing. I'm also not a big beach guy. So, uh, you know, I, I totally understand you there, but you know, talking about playing football at G ball, your high school head football coach was Paul Lanier. And that's a guy that I, I don't know well, but actually my first year of teaching, I was at Clearbrook high school. Oh, and, okay. yep. Paul Lanier was the coach. I actually, I came in, at, I came in in January, like at semester. Right. And so I was not a coach or anything, but I mean, I definitely remember coach was there and we had talked about maybe the next year doing something, but I ended up going to Fort Bend Clements the following year, returning back to Fort Bend where I'm from. But the thing I remember about coach Lanier, I mean, they, they ran that flex bone triple option offense at Clearbrook. I mean, that was one of the defining right. things I remember about him. And I think he, I think from talking to another one of his former players, I believe he's from Louisiana, if I remember that right. correctly, but just tell us, man, what was it like uh, playing for Coach Lanier back then? Yeah, so we ran ran the flex bone, triple option. Yep. Uh, it's really the only offense I ever played in. Uh, I, you know, when I when he got the job, I was in the seventh grade. Uh, I didn't really play Little League football. Um, you know, we ran the flex bone and then all the way through high school. And then I was um, when I went to go play college, we ran the same the same offense. Uh, Coach Lanier knew that offense probably better than anybody that I've, that I've met. He's got a whole – uh, extensive group of contacts that he would talk to and, and know about it. Uh, you know, the one thing I'd always remember about Coach Lanier is his play card was basically an index card. It wasn't one very big, and uh, yep. you know, he he was a he was a, a tough coach on us, uh, but we knew he cared about us. Uh, he expected us to be, you know, perfect in everything we do. Uh, one thing I do remember uh, it was Wednesdays. I think it was Wednesdays. We had to run every single play in the game plan, and and we uh, 
it was if we screwed up, we had to start over. So if you got to like play fifteen, you had to go back to play one, and and uh, and so Wednesdays was all like we got to be perfect, we got to be perfect. But that that helped us uh, come come uh, Friday night. Um, my sophomore year, we were able to go all the way to the regional final. Uh, yeah. We lost a close game to to Katie High School, who wow. went on to to the yeah. state finals. Uh, I don't know if they won that year, but um, I know they did go to the state finals. But uh, but yeah, Coach Nero was a great coach. Uh, uh, one thing that I I've taken, I don't run the flex point offense and what I do, but what I've taken is is how to how to be an offensive lineman in that offense and, and, and put it in, in, into what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, just being physical, being tough, uh, I had offensive line coach, uh, Charlie Fitzmorris, who, uh, was also our offensive coordinator or he, well, he coached at Aldine high back when they won state. Uh, and, and he really taught me a lot about being an offensive lineman, being tough. He always tells us about being rugged and, and lineman rule. And, and we built our football, uh, around here, around our linemen, just like, just like they did back then. Yeah, Coach. I mean, hey, you, you might not – people may not know it from looking at me, but I also was an offensive lineman, man, just oh, like yeah. you. Yeah, we were both – I was number 65, you know, <laughs> back in the day. But like 195-pound split guard as a junior. Was able to bulk up to 225 for my senior year. But, yeah, I was I was an, a little guy. But, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, man. My, so my background's in O-line. Talking about Aldine guys that, that knew the option. Uh, coach Whitaker down at Port Lavaca, yeah. Calhoun. When I, when I was head coach at Aldine, you know, my first year we went two and eight and the second year we actually went zero and 10. So it didn't, it, it, we weren't able to get it going the, you know, the way that I wanted. But after that first year coach, I came in there kind of trying to go more up tempo. And the thing that I found was, yeah, we were actually, we're scoring some points. We did a good job, but we we're also giving up 70 many a right, time. Right. So started kind of talking to my OC, uh, Nate Schallenberger who's now the assistant head coach at Fort Bend Hightower and Say, man, what can we do different? And I started thinking about, hey, what about running the option? And I had seen Port Lavaca Calhoun the year after I left take Ridgepoint all the way down to the wire. Ridgepoint had to kind of get a, a lucky, not lucky, but throw it to a great player, make a miss, you know, to, to even that game up. And so we went down there. Coach Whitaker hosted us at his house in Port Lavaca. We stayed the night in his guest house. I mean, it was really awesome. But you're talking about the O-line fundamentals that, that you took from that offense into what you do today. And the thing that I remember was just the way that the stance was very, I believe it was like a four point stance, very heavy, you know, forward lean on your hands, really firing out a lot of crabbing, uh, you know, and things of that nature, right. you know? And so right. is that what you're, is that what you're talking about coach? Or are you talking about more about just the, the, the mindset or are you actually talking about techniques as well? Uh, well, we're not, we're not heavy four point stance hands okay. and, and, uh, the the crab walking and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Not too much of that, but just the mindset. Right, of, right. We're we're here to move people vertically. You know, we're here to uh, to fly off the ball and low back, low hat. You know, low pad wins is what what my coach used to always say. So, uh, you know, I, I think that mindset of of dominating the line of scrimmage um, makes your whole team tough. So. Um, like in our practices, we go a lot of good on good, uh, so our defensive front can fill our offensive front, and 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 hopefully, you know, in coming years, you know, they could be the best when they see the best in practice, you know, and that makes the game uh, a lot easier. So, uh, just the mindset of, hey, we're coming off the ball, we're going to be tough, and and when they're done playing us, they're going to know that they played a physical team. Now, Coach, the reason why we didn't go go through with it, even though I, I love the flexbone triple options, I kind of felt like you have to – if you're going to do that, you got to commit. 
And I feel like your whole staff needs to know how to coach it right. And we just didn't feel like we were there and what we didn't think we could do. We, we could, we would do it disservice, you know, just trying to do it halfway. Right. So, uh, episode number 21, if any listeners want to check that out, I interviewed James Gage, the head football coach at at, uh, Alvin the yellow jackets there. His dad is Ronnie Gage, a very famous option coach, uh, from his time at Louisville one state up there. Um, I'm just curious for you, because you said, you know, you, you love it. You love that kind of offense, but you, you it's not what you're doing now. Can right. you just share with us maybe what, what are some of the reasons you decided to go away from it? And then on the second side of that, like what kind of situations can coaches find themselves in where you think it would be a good fit? Because I got a lot of coaches listening, trying to find a way to gain an edge. Like, so number one, why did you move away from it? Then number two, like, where do you think that the flexbone triple option would be a great fit? Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say I, I really – you know, quote unquote, moved away from it. Right. Just in my coaching profession, that never was what we did. You know, right, uh, right. I started coaching here at Laporte High School, and we were a two back team, a I formation team, and and then we kind of went to a wing T type team, and mm-hmm. uh, um, that's just kind of what I've what I've stuck to in my in my coaching career. You know, I ended up at Angleton as offense coordinator, Coach Roark, uh, you know, big wing T guy, and mm-hmm. and he really taught me the ins and outs of it. Uh, but, you know, I tell people all the time, um, you know, at Angleton, we broke the school record for points in a season, um, at Dolby, we broke the school record for points in a season yep. twice. And last year we broke the single season, uh, our single game point record here at LaPorte high school running the offense that we run. So, uh, as long as we're breaking points records, I, I think I'm, a, I'm, a, um, keep adapting to what we're doing. We do adapt yeah. to stuff, but, uh, it's just what I like to do. And then, like I said before, that's the only offense I played in, you know, for 10 years, pretty much four and four and two. And, you know, just something, something to do different. Oh, coach, man. I, I love it. And I, I I'm interested, I'm always interested in, in teams that are, and I, so you are running the wing T now, basically. Yes. Wing T. You that's know, I, I, I love that coach. I love teams that are kind of doing a little bit. I, I consider it outside the box, right. Cause you know, most teams you're going to see in the shotgun or whatever, you know, that, that kind of style of offense and, I mm-hmm. love talking to flexbone guys like James or a wing T guy like yourself. And so let's, let's dive into that. Cause maybe some of the coaches that listen, maybe they're, they've never had that experience. I remember right. when we were playing coach, most of the teams ran the wing T like my team did. And we were, we were a pro team, I formation, but it was basically yeah. wing T principles, but talk to, talk to us about that, man. How would you kind of sum up what you guys do at LaPorte uh, with that wing T? Yeah. You know, we, um, we based number one plays strong side pitch, um, we want to be able to run trap, you know, I think if we can run trap, then, then that opens up a lot of other things. Um, yeah. uh, play action pass big. I mean, we do get in the shotgun. Uh, uh, we we do have things where we can run the buck sweep and we try to RPO read and we, we do all that other stuff that other people do when our team is able to do that. You know, right, uh, right. my uh, fourth year at Adobe, I had a really good quarterback that was a three-year starter and he was able to do a lot of that stuff. So, so we allowed him to do it, but, but I, I believe we can be as simple bread and butter basic as you can be, depending on your personnel, or we can be wide open as much as we need to be, depending on what our players can do. And I think it's the ultimate, in my opinion, offense where you can do what's best for your personnel. Right. Um, um, Cause you don't have to have that guy behind center every year. That's just going to be the difference maker. Uh, you know, the rest of your team can be the difference maker and he just, uh, make sure that he doesn't get you beat, you know? So um, I think that's why I, I enjoy it. I like it. Um, it. It makes other teams work on something that they haven't had to prepare for. Yeah. Um, 
all season. And I think that puts them in a, a limited, uh, you know, capacity. Man, Coach, you know, I love that, you know, and I think looking back at that time I was talking about at Aldean, what we ended up settling on was staying in our offense. But Coach Shaw told me, hey, Coach, like even out of what we do, I can still get a good run game. I can control the clock. And he did a good, very good job of that. So even though we went 0-10, the points were given up went way down. Our, our point differentials went way down. And so he was right. But what you, the thing I like about the wing tee, and I guess what I'm saying is I kind of wish I would have maybe looked more into the wing tee for that season. It's just that different look right? It's something that's hard for other scout teams to replicate on a one on a short week or whatever. And, you know, and it's just something different for defense to see. So can you just talk about that component? Like, do you feel, do you feel that when you go, like, do you feel that some of the other teams aren't really fully prepared for, for what they're facing with you? Well, I mean, the, the, that's a, that's a give or take really, because every week we got to prepare for everything because yeah. uh, some, some teams will just line up in their base defense or they'll create some, kind of defense that right, that right. we weren't prepared for. Um, so we, we do call fronts and talk up front on the line of scrimmage and our linemen are prepared every week for even odd, you know, uh, odd stack, even stack. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, that, in essence, we don't get that true uh, look from the video. You know, we just don't right, get that right. they base out of an odd, so we're going to practice this and that. Uh, but but yeah, I think I think it is kind of tough to mimic the wing tee because the ball right. handling and uh, it takes us a long time to get the ball handling down. Just you know, personally, we work on it every day. Right. Uh, so if you're not able to, and any you know, of the options the same way of being able to get the ball, ball handling, and things like that. So if you're not able to mimic the ball handling, uh, that can cause cause some issues for your scout teams. Coach, you know, one cool thing we were talking about before the show, you know, I I have the old say no to drugs poster that, you know, my coach Stewart, my coach selected me to go to that. And I'd always, I have it hanging up my, in my weight room, my garage. And I, I remember when I was still coach, I'd look back on it sometimes and I'd kind of look like, man, I wonder where all these kids grew up, you know, where now we're all like in our late thirties and, you know, I'm like, I wonder, mm -hmm. I wonder what became a lot of these guys. And I was looking through and one day, I mean, I saw you there for sure. I mean, I was like, hey, that's, there's Bernithi. And sure enough, and so, right. you know, you're on that poster, man. I always, like, bring – whenever people come over, I always point to Vince Young. He's sitting there right in the middle on the top <laughs> row. That's kind of that's kind of my claim to fame. But do you remember that day, Coach, when we were 17, 18-year-olds going down to Rice Stadium to take that photo? Yeah. Do you still have memories of that? <laughs> yeah, I have that poster somewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it's cool to be selected for that, you know, and I appreciate Coach Lanier for doing that. Um, yeah. yeah, I do remember Vince Young. Saw him play a lot, you know. Um, was a very good player in high school. Um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't, you know, go very far my, my senior year. So I got to, to watch him every weekend in Asherdale. You know, yep. I remember him playing North Shore and classic yep. game and, yep. and all that type of stuff. But, uh, yeah, going to Rice and taking that picture. And um, I, I actually tell my players now, you know, hey, I was in, you know, when my player goes every year, I was in that same picture. Yep. And I was in the picture with, with Vince Young and uh, – uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's a cool story. And yeah. uh, it's kind of cool to know that you're in that picture, too, yeah. you know. So, yes, sir. And, and, and what's weird is how much bigger that picture is now compared to then. Of course, there's multiple more high schools in the area compared to what was when we played. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, they talk about a coaching shortage and not a lot of coaches and stuff. And I'm like, that's true that it is shorter, but there's also a lot more jobs out here than there Correct. was when we played. I mean, from, uh, you know, the South Beltway to Galveston back then, the, you know, when we played Springs wasn't there. Dawson wasn't there. Yep. 
uh, Pasadena Memorial wasn't there. Clear Falls wasn't there. Uh, um, I'm sure there's more, you know, yeah. just, just, just the growth of high schools and in a, in a combination with not many people getting into to coaching is, is, is what has kind of led to us where we are now. But that's a, yeah, that's a great cool, point. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool time uh, to, to do that. Uh, it's crazy that it was 20 uh, plus years ago, right. um, the time goes by fast, but yeah, it's cool to know that you're in that poster with, you know, somebody like, uh, a high school legend like Vince Young. For sure. For sure. Now, you know, another thing, you know, you, you were two point, uh, two sport player, uh, at, at Galveston ball, you did football and powerlifting. And I'm always kind of intrigued by this because in Fort Bend, I always feel like powerlifting and wrestling are unique sports. in the fact that like not everybody has them in Fort Bend, right. we had neither of them. And so I don't know if you guys had wrestling or not, but you did have powerlifting. So can you can you talk to me about what that component was like? Was that a big edge for you? Like, did that like enhance your offseason? I take it, or what, what? How did powerlifting impact your career as an offensive lineman? I I enjoy you know I kind of compare powerlifting to track and field. You know, you're competing and yep. and uh, you're you're really standing out. Everybody's watching you when you're out there lifting, and uh, you know you don't want to be the one that not gets your weight uh, right. I mean, it made me stronger. It built confidence. Um, it helped me to be a part of a team outside of football season. Uh, you know, it also it also taught you responsibility. You know, nowadays, powder to meets are at four o'clock in the afternoon and go to nine o'clock at night. But yeah. when I power lifted back 20 years ago, you had to be at the field house at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah. You couldn't eat breakfast until after you weighed in. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, the meet started at 8 a.m., and it, it wouldn't be over till till four or five o'clock in the afternoon. So it was your whole entire Saturday, you know. Yeah. So uh, it taught you, you know, you got to get up, you got to take care of yourself, you got to do this, you got to be here. Um, so it, it teaches you a lot of responsibilities in, in that nature. And now I, I think I saw you shaking your head no for wrestling. So you guys did not have wrestling at ball. No, no we did not. What do you? Uh, I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that now that now that you're a campus athletic coordinator. I mean, it's I'm sure you're pro powerlifting, but would do you feel like wrestling is also something that can augment a football program? I'm just kind of curious how how you feel like those two sports, you know, wrestling and football work together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It teaches you things like leverage and yeah. how to manipulate your body to 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 do things that it shouldn't normally probably do. I mean, right, right. We all know being an offense and defense alignment that. I don't think your body's probably built to to be in a three point stance and come off and put your hands on somebody's breastplate and and try to stop somebody that's running straight at you and, right. and have to maneuver your body in a split second time and 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 um, wrestling. I I do believe they knew. I've never been involved in a school with with wrestling, right? Uh, but uh, I can see where it has its advantages. And so currently at Laporte, then it's I, I take it they don't have wrestling, but they do have powerlifting. Are you? Correct. Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. Very good. No. So okay. So after after your time at, at Galveston Ball, you, you know, you had some good years there. I know you said senior year not as far, but sophomore you you went really deep, and so you're you had a great career there as an offensive lineman. So you were able to continue playing on into college. You played football at Southern Arkansas University. I believe it's in Magnolia, kind of in the southwest Magnolia. corner right. of the state. And so just talk to us about what it was like. And uh, was it D, Division Two at the time or Division Two? Okay, well, what was it like playing there in Southern Arkansas? Uh, well, um, you know, it's at first it was a little different. Um, you know, you play Texas high school football and you you play in 
uh, some big stadiums and right. good facilities and this one and the other. And I'm not saying that ours weren't good, but, uh, you know, just kind of not as nice as some of the things we have here. And, uh, you know, the big thing uh, about playing is, you know, I, I was playing the same position I played in high school and I was doing the same exact stuff. So, I mean, yeah. I was able to learn pretty quick. It was just learning how they called it compared to the way Coach Lanier called it. And, um, I was able to adapt pretty quick, and by the third game, I was starting and started all the way through my uh, college career. Mm-hmm. Uh, made all conference a couple times, made all region. Uh, was selected as a, a preseason All American one year. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm only five ten and a half, so you can't play past college if sure, you're five sure. ten and a half in sure. in the in the offensive line. But that uh, um, was good. My sophomore year, we made the Division two playoffs. Um, we're real close from being conference champions. Um, played with some great players. Uh, one, uh, Nick Lewis, who went to the Canadian Football League, and yeah. I think he Calgary's all-time leading receiver. Uh, Jordan Babineau was on my team, who played for the Seahawks for a lot of years. Uh, you know, big big play in the playoffs. He tackled Tony Romo on the one-yard line on the bot snap. Right. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, Cowboys fans. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, got to play with some, some good players and we had some talented, you know, and and got to travel and see this, the, the southern part of the United States. You know, uh, the big thing about like Division Two is you're, you're not riding on, a, on an airplane. You're not right. eating at five star restaurants. You know, I clearly remember going to Valdosta, Georgia. And, uh, you know, yeah, we stopped, you know, maybe a night on the way, staying in a hotel. Yeah. But after the game, it was, you know, a Popeye's three-piece meal and a Gatorade 16 hours on the bus back to Magnolia uh and that was that was you maybe might stop at a truck stop you know Mm -hmm. eight hours in but um you know on the road traveling and you have to you know make up your classwork and all that type of stuff too because you might have missed school on Thursday to travel and uh but it was good times had great teammates truly enjoyed it great friends to this day um that i got to meet and i wouldn't have met or been around if it wasn't for college athletics and playing at southern arts university was able to get my degree pretty quickly and uh and then i was able to student actually student teach and coach my senior year at uh, arkansas high school in texarkana and uh got to be a part of arkansas high school football and and got to be a part of a state championship team and and so that was cool so that was part of my um you know, education and, and Magnolia as well. Coach, I mean, I played division three football. And so everything you described is exactly the same as I remember. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not, not five-star restaurants. Where was the golden corral? That was, yeah. <laughs> that's where they would find. Where, where, where's golden the corral? And I think there was a place called Barn Hills yeah. or something like that. We had always stopped, you know, a place like that, but that was only on the way, on the way back. It was, hey, here's your subway sandwich and, <laughs> and get on the bus. <laughs> now, coach, you mentioned that, at, at Southern Arkansas, you were playing the exact same offense and position, and it was just different terminologies. I mean, that, that tells me, I guess, you were playing in a flexbone offense. Right. And is that something to where colleges – I've always kind of wondered this. Colleges that run the flexbone, do they seek out high school programs like, you know, uh, Georgia Tech back in the day or Navy and Army? Are they looking for people like James Gage down at Alvin or, or Coach Lanier back then? I mean, do, do you feel like there's a pipeline for players that are playing in flexbone to, to, to be recruited by those colleges? I, I really, really don't know. Uh, 
I just know that you could probably take somebody that might be a little bit undersized, but you right. feel like might be able to play at a, at a bigger level. And, and unfortunately the bigger level is not going to take a chance on them because of, of their size and right. you can plug them into the offense and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, be successful. Um, I think it helps with, with the smaller skill type kid. Right. Uh, I think the linemen, uh, if you, it took some of our linemen some more time to learn how to play in the offense uh, coming from some other high schools that may not have had experience doing that. So I think the linemen transition time is a little longer, uh, but I, I truly believe I had an advantage because I had played in the offense for, you know, six years previous. No, I mean, I love that. I, I find that kind of stuff really interesting. And I, it's pretty cool to how you're able to just have that have that leg up on everybody when you got there. Now, whenever you got to Southern Arkansas, and I know you're, you mentioned your dad was coaching, was it something where you already knew when you stepped foot onto campus there in Magnolia that, that you were going to be a coach? Or did you come in thinking you were going to do something else? I, I really didn't. I really didn't know, uh, okay. to be honest with you. Uh, okay. The only time I really kind of, I just remember freshman year, I was taking some, some hard classes, and then I heard some other people were taking like theory and fundamentals of basketball. So I wanted to take that class, and it kind of led me into coaching. Um, yeah. But but you know, looking back at it, this is what I always wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to be a, a a coach, a high school coach, and uh, hopefully one day being able to be a head head high school coach. And and I've been lucky enough to be able to do that, and this is going into my sixth season as a head. Uh, varsity football coach now after you finished and i mean I, i've been wanting to interview you for a while but it really it stuck out to me when i was we're at sergio gonzalez your, your buddy sergio uh, gave a great talk at the success academy oh, at, really? at coaching school and i saw you there and i was like oh, bernita yeah. man i gotta i gotta connect with him but i believe both of you guys got your start at laporte uh right, right? i mean he, he, that's kind of where he was he got his his beginnings as well so like tell us the story of how did you connect with Laporte I mean it's, it's not I mean, you're from Galveston so it's not like it, it's your hometown or anything so how, how'd you get connected there well um there's a coach uh that coached here for a lot of years um Carl Terrebonne okay and Coach Terrebonne's been the head football coach at Hitchcock High School and Baytown Sterling High School well um after I graduated high school he he spent a year at Ball High School in Galveston for with Coach Holmes when Coach Holmes was the coach and yeah. him and my dad got to know each other. And so when I got out of, out of college and I was looking for a job, Coach Terrebonne uh, reached out to me and helped me out and, and helped me get with uh, Coach Moreau here at, at LaPorte High School and, and really helped me, uh, you know, get a position at, at LaPorte. So that was kind of the, the original uh, connection was uh, just Coach Terrebonne having respect, you know, for my, for my father and, uh, and, you know, just, kind of knowing who I am, didn't really know me, but kind of knew of me and uh, gave me a shot to come be a freshman uh, offensive line coach here at, at LaPorte High School. And how many years were you there at LP? Yeah, so I spent six seasons okay. um, at LaPorte. Um, you know, we had some really good seasons back in like 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, uh, won two district championships, made it to the regional final twice. Uh, you know, we, we kind of struggled with the NRG's stadium deal. We, we yeah. get there and just couldn't, couldn't get out of the NRG stadium. Uh, uh, Katie, Katie got us three times and, you know, we were able to, to defeat them one time and, right. uh, 
um, which you know is still talked about a lot over that here. Sense, but, that sense that sent shockwaves through the state. That that's one of the bigger up. I mean, not that you guys were a super super heavy underdog, but like I, nobody saw Katie going down. And so I mean, I remember that. I remember was it a Boogie on Ignastu, right? Was, was it- Boogie Boogie was gone. Uh, maybe his senior year was like 08. Okay. So our quarterback was Josh Vidalis. And so okay. Josh was just just a, he he actually played shortstop at U of H. Uh, he's more of a baseball guy. Okay. And, uh, Josh just did. A, he was a tough kid, and he was he wasn't very big, but he did everything you asked him to do, and and uh, he was a true competitor and. Uh, um, you know, he, he led us that night, you know, he, he did yeah. things in that game that, uh, you know, were big time because I don't know if people remember, but it was, it was cold and it was windy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we are, like I said, I mean, so is Katie, you know, a run first team and, right. uh, but you know, our defense was really good that night. And yeah. Y'all had some really f- good linebackers, I think I remember from that time. There was maybe an inside and an outside backer. They're both ex- exceptional. By yeah, so we had um, actually one's on my staff now, Cameron Willie, who ended up playing at Texas State. And, right, uh, right. Ted Sutherland was our inside linebacker, was really good. And, and uh, we had a young man named Jose Scott on the outside, on the that, other side. That's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Yep. And, and they all played, you know, but it was a whole bunch of good players on that right. field for both teams, and it was a tough – dirty grimy football game and and that's the that's the type of games i love to be a part of i remember i think the year after i left fort bank clements i think they 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 went to laporte for a non-district game i think i was up in the stands just watching it, and man y'all took it to the fort bank clements rangers that night and i just i had not seen so much physicality i guess in a while like that like just to see it up close and personal i don't think we i don't think we were met with that much physicality in fort bend you know the years that i was coaching uh at clements at that time so i i remember that coach i remember that that's what stood out to me about the laporte team just the physicality i love the town man town's got a blue collar feel to it great fans and stands like so just any last i know we're about to we're going to loop back to your time as head coach at laporte but just as far as just the the experience of laporte football man anything else you want to share on that I mean, I think you, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, you know, Coach LaRoe, um, you know, we, we, we just went to work, you know, yeah. and our kids respond and there's a lot of tough kids over here. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they just play the game hard, you know, and, and that's what we're, we're, we're going back to getting back to, you know, and uh, uh, I think we have some good classes coming up to, to be able to do that. So, uh, and, and, and don't, don't, take it for granted that, that we had a lot of good players too, you know, and, and you, you don't really realize that until, you know, they're gone, you know, sure, but uh, sure. I had some talented players and they would do everything you ask you to do. And, and they just show up every day going to work. So uh, it was a great time to, to, to start my coaching career because, you know, you're talking about playing deep in the playoffs and, and it, it also opened up doors for me going forward in my career as well. Now, after after the uh, beginning at Laporte and getting some of those great experiences there, you also had stops uh, at Dickinson and Lamarck. So let's we're talking about some you know South and I forty five powerhouses here, some 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 heavy hitters. Um, you don't need to. I, I, I really want to dig into your your Angleton, your Dobie, your Laporte quite thoroughly. But as far as okay. for those two, if we maybe combine those, any thoughts that or things that you picked up? Uh, I guess with Dickinson, with you're with Snelson, I take oh, it. So I mean, Snelson. obviously, that, well, that, that's a good one to dig into. I mean, what was it like? learning under him and just what was some of your memories from Dickinson? Yeah, I was, I was only at Dickinson for a year. Okay. Uh, I coached the, the defensive tackles or the nose guards. Uh, uh, really, that was the only time I've been on a defense staff. 
but Coach Nelson, what 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 he he did or what you could tell is he, he loves what he does. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He yeah. genuinely loves being a high school football coach. You know, uh, he's there every day. He holds the, the coaches accountable. He holds his players accountable. Uh, you know, you know, I tell people all the time, sometimes it's that every day, repeat, repeat, repeat. What's the hardest thing to do is, as a as a head football coach is, is every day you got to keep coming to work, you know, and, and one thing that he, he taught me is, um, you know, we have good days and we have bad days, but there are no easy days. So, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I take a piece of pretty much all my former bosses uh, or head coaches uh, with me in the style that I, I do today. And, and I just remember, you know, he preached being tough, he preached uh, finishing forward all the time. Don't ever finish backwards. Uh, you know, low pads, fast feet. Uh, just, just, just a mentality of of playing the game tough. I love it, man. I mean, I think back to you know, you talk about that win against Katie that you guys had, and I I remember when Coach Nelson was at Pasadena Memorial. Some right. of those battles he had of Katie, and that was real eye opening too. Like, man, Pasadena Memorial is a new school, like going toe to toe with the Katie Tigers. So, no, nah, man, I've always enjoyed uh, listening to Coach Nelson as well. And then, like we mentioned, you had a stop at Lamarck, and I guess was that right. Dr. Jackson or yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I got to be the offensive coordinator at Lamarck for a year. Uh, it was actually the year that kind of the whole EA stuff started. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we we went to the third round of the playoffs, well, lost to uh, Western Stark, who ended up. Uh, I think lost in the finals that year um, was up big. I think on Gilmer and Gilbert came back and kind of beat him. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure on that, but, uh, but coach some good players, you know, I was closer to Galveston, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it was just kind of a, a weird year with everything going on with the TA and all that type of stuff. So, sure. yep. uh, you know, I decided to, to, to move on from that situation uh, once yep. all that stuff started happening. And then you were at Angleton. You kind of touched on that a little bit. And man, I mean, I, I just missed it. I get because uh, the I never coached against Angleton when I was at Ridgepoint. Okay. Uh, you know, I left at the end of the 2014 season when Temple beat us in the third round of the playoffs. But I know from from following, I mean, you man, Ridgepoint and Angleton had a game for the ages in the Alamo <laughs> Dome, man. So, man, yeah. I, I wish I could have been a part of that. But you know, my good friend Jimmy Hammond was a defensive coordinator going against you, and he's now uh, head okay. coach of Seven Lakes. You know, but. uh, Got to kind of watch that one from from Texan through Texan Live or something. You know, wasn't able to coach in that one. But man, you're you're under Coach Roark. You know, Ryan Roark, who has gone on and now he's he's even doing some broadcasting. He's an excellent color commentator. Man, he's really good uh, for what mm-hmm. he's doing at Texan Live and everything. But uh, can you talk about that experience? Because I mean, yeah, that that was the epitome of a wing T team that was. I, th- I think, like you said, sometimes when when people see teams that are very physical and run the football, they think it's this plotting, you know, just just smash mouth kind of thing. But I mean, you were you were an explosive wing T offense right. at that time, right? right? So, well, just again, just to talk about your time at Angleton, what, what were some of your thoughts there? I think I think when I got to Angleton, uh, the big thing I saw was the total organization of everything, uh, yeah. and and I was more mature in my coaching age, yeah, uh, and just seeing the organization, the detail. The everyday, uh, you know, holding your players accountable. Uh, uh, coach Britton, who's the head coach there now, yes. was our our defensive coordinator. Absolutely, uh, Coach Coach Roark, He 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 stayed on those kids, and he stayed on the coaches, and and uh, you know he really didn't care what we what thought about it. To be honest with you, and which I appreciated, you know, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to be the offensive coordinator uh, there. 
And, uh, you know, the first year he, he called the offense uh, when we played, actually played Rich Point. Okay. And, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, we, we had a freshman quarterback and, and we got all the way to the, it was, it was a tough playoff run. You know, we yeah. played a tough Tech City team and we were five and five going in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, we played a tough Tech City team. Uh, we played Port Nature's Groves, who right. was good. College yeah. Station, who was on the up and up and coming and, and they were good. And then we, we get to play Rich Point and all of a sudden we're playing Rich Point and Alamo down in San Antonio. Yeah. But a uh, classic game. Uh, yeah. But the, the, the thing about it is, and I'm, I'm going to go back to like when we were at LaPorte and we were good, we had really good players. You know, we had yeah. – yeah. At Angleton, we had good players, good running players. You know, I have a running back now that plays in North Dakota State. We had uh, B.J. Foster that played yeah. running back. Right. He was played safety at Texas. We had Everett Hawkins who played at Sam Houston State. You know, uh, um, you know my quarterback I coached at Angleton is the quarterback at Texas Lutheran. Has been the quarterback there for the past three or four years. Yeah. Uh, but, but classic game we went for two i mean we uh at the end and we didn't get in and rich point advanced but but just two two really good teams going back and forth with each other and and when when one thought they had it then the other one responded and and it came down to an overtime game for a chance to go to the state semifinals and uh they made one more play than we did you know and and uh and just one of those deals of you know classic deep December Texas high school football. Yeah. And with all that success you had at Angleton and I totally agree that that's another great football town now under coach Britton's leadership, uh-huh. continuing with coach Roark's, you know, what they built together, you know, uh, in the time you were there, but um, now you go to Dolby to get your first head coaching job. So, you know, right. uh, kind of similar to, to my path, I guess, being a coordinator at a Ridge point or an Angleton allows you opportunities, right. you know, and you go to Dolby and man, Dolby, we played them when I was in high school. Stan Liby was the coach at the time. Okay, yeah. Yep. Way too Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they took it to us, man. It, it kind of looked probably like Laporte versus Clements. Probably what Fort Ben Austin or Dolby kind of looked like at some of those points. But um, they were really good, man. Really physical. And I, like I said, I taught at Clearbrook. And the thing that was interesting to me is being in Clearbrook and CCISD. I guess I kind of assumed the kids would talk about a rot. You know, they'd always talk about like you know uh, whatever Clear Creek or Clear Lake, but. A lot of times they would talk about Doby, you know, yeah, right and, down the street from each other. Exactly, and I think I didn't really realize that at the time, coach, or before mm-hmm. I got there. But man, there's kind of like a Doby Clearbrook rivalry going, man. So I'm here to ask you, like, you're no longer in this position, but did you guys ever play each other? I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I never well, heard of them playing really. Well, um, actually, no. When I was at at, at Doby, we did not. I mean, in yeah. basketball, right? Uh, we did, and that was a big. That was always one of those deals uh, as an athletic administrator, like, man, I just hope nothing, you know, sure, goes south sure. yeah, here. Yeah. And, you know, you got to, you know, keep the two communities where they're supposed to be in, right. in, in uh, stands and stuff like that. Um, but in football, we didn't, you know. So, um, you know, before I got the Laporte job and Coach Towles was the head coach at Clearbrook at the time, uh, me and him had decided that we would play and um, – Doby and Clearbrook are playing now. Uh, they start restarted. They used to call it the Beamer Bowl, and now they're they're playing. Uh, yeah. They played last year, so that was something that I was trying to put back together. And right. Good. Yeah. It just happened that I had the opportunity to come to Laporte, so I didn't get to. You, uh, you didn't get to fulfill fully see it out, but man, that I think a lot of people don't realize that man. I think a lot of people around the city don't understand the Doby Clearbrook dynamic because it's it's unique. Like 
those these are both not one horse towns. You are schools and multi school districts. You usually don't right. see that kind of rivalry develop between multi school district teams that are in different districts, man. It just it really is something kind of unique, man. I really enjoyed right. kind of getting to learn about that, man. But obviously, Adobe. Sergio mentioned this in his talk, but being a part of that 10 and 0 season, you know, and, and just can you can you talk about your time at Adobe? Because that's where you really um, kick the door down as far as your reputation here around the city, you know, with everything that, that, that you're doing. And now as a head coach, just talk about what was it like being at Adobe and just having such a magical season there? Well, the first thing uh, that helped me out at Adobe more than anything was my building principal, oh. uh, Franklin Moses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who is now assistant superintendent in Clear Creek ISD. Uh, he let me come into to Dolby High School and, and do what I felt I needed to do to make the, the program uh, successful. Uh, so supported me a thousand percent in every decision uh, that I made. And, and that's, that, that is um, something that, for any program to be successful is for the administration and, and things of that nature to, to support you to a hundred percent. And, you know, I have that here too at LaPorte with our superintendent, Dr. Jackson, but uh, um, at Adobe, uh, you know, we were not uh, very tough when I first got there. We had some good, good players. Uh, uh, I was able to hire some good coaches that were young, that wanted to, to to become uh, get put in positions they might not be able to get put at some other schools and and learn and cut their teeth with me as a head coach and um, um, you know the first year we were able to go seven and four you know we got we lost to North Shore and the Hill Mary State Championship team uh, uh, we had a key moment in that season where uh, we were losing to South Houston twenty one to three with about six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and we were able to come back to win the game twenty four twenty one and get in the playoffs. Uh, my second year at Dolby, we went uh, I believe nine and nine and one. We lost to Tassita. A big a big win for us that year was going to Humble and beating Summer Creek, who who the year before had went like three or four rounds deep in the playoffs, and they're athletic, tough, have great great coaches, mm -hmm. you know, a uh, really, really good program. Uh, uh, we ended up losing the North Shore again in the playoffs. Uh, then the, the third year we go undefeated, we're district champs, and we get to – we play a Tascacita, who's, you know, really good. And, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we weren't able to, 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 to beat them. And then my last year we finished eight and two and then had to play North Shore again in the playoffs. So mm -hmm. uh, that was the big, you know – uh, it's always, you know, you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and, and and you're trying to – and then every year, you know, you get in the playoffs and you play one of the top teams and stay. I mean, that's just the way it is in 6A Division One, though. So, uh, you know, Dubby's was great. Our players were great. Our community was support great. Uh, and our players just bought into what we what we preached, and that was show up every day and work hard, and, and the good things will happen in the end. And uh, I remember – the one thing I remember more than anything about uh, Dolby was was the whole COVID shutdown and how our players responded and right. and they they just kept working like if we said hey you got to be on the Zoom at at two o'clock they're going they're on the Zoom if we said hey you got to social distance and sit in the parking lot and they were there you know and and um, they they showed up when we asked them and they rang the bell and they went to work and you know things like Dolby is they just got a turf field for the first time 
you know, in school, which is awesome. But, you know, when it rained, we'd either be in the parking lot or in the gym, you know, so because right. Brassfield wasn't was had water, you know, Dobie's really built on a swamp. I don't know if people know that there's a swamp right behind Dobie. So, you know, that that water did not drain very fast off those fields. So uh, yeah. and then you and then as far as me, like little things that that, um, you know, many people don't understand, like, you know, Adobe, I had to cut cut the the fields and maintain the the lawnmowers and right and and just just a lot of and they still do you know the baseball coach does the softball coach it's just just the way it is you know and uh you know just Dolby was great to me and and uh we're actually scrimmaging on this year so i'm excited to to see some of my former players you know yeah. that i knew were going to be good players i'm kind of worried about them to tell you the truth but uh right. i know they're good players but uh but yeah, but at my time at Dublin, we also had some, some talented players. We had a player go to West Texas A&M. Uh, we had a player go to UTEP, two go to UTEP, one go to UNLV, uh, one went to Vanderbilt that now that's now at Oklahoma State. So I mean, just um, you know, the ability for those players to buy into what I'm asking them to do, and and uh, the results are what they got. You know, it's because of what they did every day. Now you know. Um... Talking about, you know, you, all of us that are like my coaches listening to my podcast, a lot of, you know, when we're young, we're, you know, we're moving up to position coach, to coordinator. We always want to be the head football coach, right? That That's the dream, right. you know, for, for all of us. And for me, when I got to Aldi and after success at Ridgepoint, was able to get the job at Aldi Young. I was 30 at the time, you know, mm-hmm. I was young. And I, I always look back and, man, I, I sometimes I wish I'd, I was older and had just a little more experience right. under my belt would have helped uh, tremendously. But, the thing that I found coached, even though my, my career coaching record is going to finish at two and 18, you know, and that, that, that's what it was. I think I loved coaching football for the Aldi Mustangs and my staff and the players. I found I struggled or I, I was, I, I was not really prepared for the, the athletic coordinator piece. And I think right. a lot of coaches don't really understand that piece before they get into it. I know Andres Gomez hosts a really good uh, podcast for JHFCA that I listen to every week. And he brings in a lot of retired coaches and almost all of them say that is like, you don't really understand that portion whenever you're moving your way up to the ranks. And so for me, I found myself spending less time with the kids, more time handling, you know, an upset, upset parent in this sport or a, a volleyball coach and a basketball coach. I don't want to share the gym or athletes or this mm-hmm. and the other and mediating those kinds of things. And it really was kind of a drain to me, coach. And it just, I don't know, it wasn't what I would, felt I was best at or, you know, all those kinds of things. So I'm, I'm curious for you, you've now had the opportunity to do this in two different spots. You have, you have experience under your belt now. What can you share with my listeners about that athletic coordinator piece, either things that are difficult or things you, you would, you know, you would have them uh, maybe consider before they, they actually step into that role? I mean, you know, here I'm the assistant athletic director under Coach Thompson, and Coach Thompson does a great job of doing a lot of that stuff you're talking about. Oh, um, at Adobe, I had, like, Mr. Moses, who, who really kind of taught me how to be an administrator, even though he didn't, like, sit me down and say, you know, he just showed me right. the way, you know. Um, uh, I mean – it's all about communication. You have got to get in right. front of stuff. You can't let things fester. Uh, you've got to stay. Um, that's like I said, every day is is a, is a new day in this because you never know when that phone is going to ring and it's something that you never even thought of. You know, sure. and, sure. and yeah. you got to go do it. You know, and and the big thing about it is, you know, and for for it to work and for you to be able to do your job successfully as a football coach and an administrator, you've got to have great 
people working for you that you have got to trust to the end and let them work and, and uh, let them do their jobs. And, and I always tell people all the time, the, the, in my opinion, the best athletic administrators handle things so their assistants don't even know they're going on. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that way they aren't distracted or having to be worried about something. They can just go coach kids and they can go, uh, you know, handle the business that needs to be done and, and, you know, just, just do their jobs and not have to worry about all the other stuff that, you know, maybe I have to worry about or, or our athletic director have to worry about or our principal have to worry about, but, you know, let them do their day-to-day jobs and in the, in every day, knowing, letting them know that they're going to come to the same work environment. Like uh, their day should not be dictated by my mood. Uh, Only person that should have to deal with my mood is me, you know? So, uh, and sometimes I got to check myself at the door about that and, Mm -hmm. and understand that. And uh, I want my coaches to feel like the field house, uh, the school is a place where they would like to be all the time. And uh, just like the players, you know, so uh, consistency, communicating, getting in front of stuff. Yeah, you you really you really don't want to talk uh, to that parent that you know they're coming to not be that parent. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's the way how how that conversation is always going to start. You know, but uh, but you have to, you know, and and you owe it to that parent because their kid is in your program. You know, so uh, and and the more com- the more you communicate with people and, and you talk to them and, and then you always, as a, as a, an athletic administrator, when there's issues, always let the people above you know about them. Uh, that way they can find a way to support you before it hits their desk. You know, I, I think that's something that some people really don't understand that it's better right. to let people know about stuff beforehand sure. than it is uh, after they, cause, cause now they're caught off guard and that nature just always, uh, over communicate, I think is huge and, and plan, plan, plan and plan to have a plan for your plan, not to work, you know? So and, and understand that, that every day is, is, is a new challenge and, and you just got to keep coming, coming to work every day. Coach, you know, so after, you know, I, I agree with all that, man. I think that was really excellent advice. You, you took kind of some of those things you're beginning to learn and develop at Adobe. And now you're at Laporte. That's where you're, you're currently at. You've, you've returned back and you, you kind of mentioned it earlier that, you know, and I saw this at Aldine, you know, and I, I've had Sean McDowell on the show who his first coaching job was at R- Willow Ridge. Mm-hmm. When you and I were growing up in the 90s, that Aldine Willow Ridge ticket was a hot ticket oh, <laughs> around yeah. Houston, right? And like you said, coach, sometimes, you know, demographics change over time or things shift. And so even Laporte wasn't immune to that. And I know those teams that I saw against Fort Bank Clements, I think that there was a little bit of a dip for Laporte. I think if I looked up correctly the year before you came, I think they won two games. Uh, you were able to get that number to five in a great, you know, first year effort there. Um, but can you speak to that a little bit? A lot of coaches are dealing with that. Um, talking about that success academy, Cirillo Heda, who's now at Aldine, and my beloved Aldine Mustangs, man, he does a great job, you know, getting involved with all that. And I just, I love, and I talk with him, you know, quite a bit, you know, uh, and just mm-hmm. love the way he's approaching bringing Aldine back, right? Trying to get them back more to, to to the ways that it was in the past, and it's it's a big undertaking though. And you yeah. know, I talk with Coach Heda, we all know it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it, it's a process, and so. I'm curious for you, man, you, especially because you were at Laporte before you'd seen it a certain way, you know, maybe some over time, some things are a little, a little different. Can, what, what advice can you give to coaches listening that are in that same spot where you're trying to kind of like reawaken like a sleeping giant, kind of like what you're trying to do at Laporte? It's not going to happen without a lot of work. You know, you don't, 
if you think this job is going to be easier than you, you're signing up for the wrong, right. the wrong job. And it's going to be, uh, you know, when I got to Dolby, I, I, I tell uh, my assistant head coach, Coach Washington's office coordinator there, and I'm like, it's every day it feels like you're just hitting your head against the wall because you're saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing. But you got to know that what you're saying is the right thing, and you got to trust, fully trust in yourself that um, – you know, what you're preaching every day is going to get you to that point and eventually get you over the hump. So, so right. just believe and have constant belief in yourself. Um, you know, if you ask my, my wife, um, you know, she knows that this is my passion. And I think in order to be successful in this position and this business, it's got to be your passion. And, and uh, you know, I probably feel too good after a win and I probably beat myself too, up too bad after a loss. Right. You know, but uh, I don't take it lightly that every person in this program, in this community is counting on me to be successful. So you got to be able to take that burden and, and, and understand that you signed up for it and just understand that, you know, just keep on going and and, and do it your way. And, and, you know, in the end, you know, just believe that it's going to happen. Now, there's a lot of exciting things going on at Laporte. I mean, I, I see in your background, you've, you've got like a, a drone shot. And I, I'm assuming that is the the uh, kind of the conceptual for the new stadium that you got there. Right. And yeah, so yeah. really exciting, man. Can you can you speak to that? Is is that a big part of your job as well, is kind of handling some of those things? Or do you kind of, you mentioned your, your AD that kind of handles some of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm curious, how involved with you are, are, are you in this side of, of the whole rebuild and renovation? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny. So like right when I was leaving Pasadena, we had started a bond situation to uh to do a turf practice field at all the the high school so i went through a bond deal there and then i came over here and got put right into another bond deal so i've done it in two different school districts and two different communities within the last two years so uh that's kind of kind of cool but uh um yeah so as soon as football season ended uh, every wednesday i was in stadium planning community meetings uh you know um just in these meetings and it's crazy the things that go into it and the thought process of stuff that you didn't even wouldn't even think of, you know. Uh, um, we're currently also having a uh, – well, it's actually installed now. We have a practice field, a full turf practice field that has been installed. They're putting up lights and uh, moving our scoreboard over there now and uh, some bleachers over there for us to play our sub-varsity games uh, this upcoming season to have a practice field. Um, but, yeah, it's a lot of work, um, a lot of time, a commitment, and, and you know, even – um, a lot of uh, bond steering committee meetings that um, Dr. Jackson asked us to be a part of. And, and um, I, I just think the, the administration in Laporte ISD did a great job of, of steering the bond and, and, and uh, our community uh, supported us 100% with the bond. And uh, we're excited about the facilities we're going to have here. Our baseball fields already fully turfed. Our softball complex is fully turfed. We have a beautiful basketball uh, bulldog center, um, and to add our football new football stadium and field house to it is going to be uh, just a complete uh, gorgeous facility here at Laporte. Man, you're a hell of a salesman, coach, to get two bonds to go through because they're hard to get past, you know, uh, these days. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure it says a lot about your communities too, both in Pasadena and Laporte that they they value, you know, those kids getting getting all that. So, um, you know, r- really. Uh, really excited for you there. And I'm curious because I've, I've kind of seen this happen. I know Fort Bend had to do renovations at Hall and Mercer and kind of uh-huh. update some things. And so 
those guys had a situation where they were having a bus to go play games at legacy home games at legacy stadium. I know Aldine, you know, my, my Aldine ISD Thorne stadium is being renovated. So for two years, those guys aren't really getting a home game. They're always having to go up to spring to play home games, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm curious for you, is this going to impact you at all as far as your schedule or, or is it, or is it all going to work out to where you're never missing games uh, for varsity play? So, yeah. So all our home games uh, next football season are going to be at Barbers Hill high school. Okay. So, we were able to work out a deal with Barbers Hill and, uh, you know, there they had four Fridays where they were either away or open, uh, which coincided with our Friday night home games. So there's only one uh, game where we're not going to have to play on Friday. So we'll play it on Saturday. And that's really our last game of the year because the week 11 were a bye week. So uh, I want we, we wanted with something consistent for our kids and still be able to have Friday night lights and, and we really appreciate Barbersville for allowing us to to use their their stadium venue. Uh, we also travel there for a game, so we'll play six of our ten games at at Barbersville High School. So, uh, um, you know, with the Highway 99, the uh, Grant Parkway being open and kind of bypassing Baytown, uh, it's really a quick, easy drive from the port to get to Barbersville. Now, last question on Laporte, Coach, and you, we talked about this just, you know, you, you guys were firmly 6A. I mean, you're talking about you remember beating the, the Katy Tigers, you know, and so now you're 5A. And so right. we talk about kind of demographics or population shifting over time. I always find that really interesting, you know, that that these these schools that do kind of go up and down. I know Friendswood kind of pops to mind as maybe a similar kind of a one-horse town that that is now in, in 5A has been 6A in the past. So I'm just kind of curious, like, do you – is that something you project is eventually a return to 6A, or do you feel like you're going to settle into this kind of 5A level? Because what are your thoughts about about that aspect of it with the enrollment number? Yeah, really, um, if I remember right, you know, maybe our enrollment was like around 2,200 back then, uh, maybe 2,250. And we were always really one of the smallest sure, 6As sure. in the area, uh, really in the state. But uh, um, now we're like 21, mid-21s. So really, it's, it was more so in my opinion, the 6A number kept growing and, and we, we just kind of stayed the same. And, right. um, you know, um, I think we play in a really competitive league. I think there's really good teams in our league, uh, Port Arthur, Barbers Hill, uh, Crosby, Kingwood Park, Porter, uh, the Baytown schools. Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, we're excited to play uh, those guys this upcoming season. I, I, what I enjoy about, quote-unquote, the 5A level is is you play more of the the one-horse-town type schools in our area. Right, you know, yeah. You know, like Crosby, uh, Barbers Hill, Port Arthur, uh, and, and you get that full Friday night uh, experience, in my opinion. Right, so, right. And with the crowded stands and stuff. Because, you know, there's times when you play in multiple schools, you could have a really good football team, and, and you could be player, and it's, it's just that you just don't get that feel sometimes. Right. Uh, but uh, to me, the big thing between 5A and 6A is, is the depth, of course. You know, when I was at Angleton, we were 5A. Uh, when I was at Dolby, we were 6A. It's, it's just the depth. And, and really, the line of scrimmage play is 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 kind of the biggest difference. Yeah, no, I just find it's just so interesting because now Angleton, they're careening towards 6A. You know, it's really right. blowing up down there. And I'm, there's even talks of a second high school, which is just crazy right. to, to die hard old wild uh, Wildcat fans. But uh, now Laporte, I mean, as far as it's it's fairly built out, right? So, I mean, there, there's not really a chance yeah. for a second high school ever, right? So you always yeah, have I mean, that one horse town. I think so. You know, I don't I don't see it. I mean, if it does, sure. it's a long way out. But sure. Uh, sure. Uh, I, I think Laporte would always be just the Bulldogs. I love it. 
I love it, man. I, and again, if, if people haven't done it, that is one of the destinations, man, in my opinion. If you want to feel like a high, a Texas high school football Friday night, go to Laporte, especially with this new, new stadium coming. Oh, my God, it's, it's going to be awesome. But, uh, okay, so, that, Coach, that's the that's the end of the, the coaching portion. Now for sure. kind of a serious question. And, I mean, I really think it's cool your dad was a coach, you know, and I always, all my listeners know, like, for me, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Like, my dad was an abuser you know, and so abusive person, you know, not, not abusing drugs or alcohol, but he was just an abusive person. And so I was really kind of lost respect for him at that time growing up and coming into adolescence. And I was looking for a father figure. And I found that in my coaches at Fort Ben Austin, particularly Richard Kitterman, who's the offensive coordinator at Cy Falls now. And of course my head coach, Tom Stewart, who's retired, but coach Kitterman, he was like what I wanted my dad to be at that time. You know what I mean? And I know you, there's so many kids I'm sure that, that look at you the same way, coach. So now that I'm broadcasting and I'm sitting in the stands, I'm hearing the stuff that your wife probably has to listen to some of the negativity coming out of the stands and whether it's directed at coaches or officials or other kids. I mean, I just hate all of it because to me, the beauty of athletics is those kids that are looking for, you know, uh, a role model or, or the sense of belonging like that. Athletics is beautiful. We don't need to we don't need to, you know, uh, mar the game with bad behavior from parents. Right. So it really bothered me when I see it. So you've been around this game a long time, man. Now you're you're in a leadership position. You're in an administrative position. Do you see some of the same things that I'm seeing? Do you feel like it's getting worse? Or And then if so, what can we do to try to stem that tide and keep athletics just celebrated? Yeah, so um, that's actually a topic I'm going to have in my parent meeting coming up in okay. a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, how we – how we should talk to, uh, you know, handle ourselves when we travel or, or in, the, in the stands or how I would like my parents to be perceived or, or our fans to be perceived of um, this. And, you know, a lot of people might not know this, but my brother is a Texas high school uh, official. He does, uh, he, he officiates. So, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, I just, and I have a lot of good friends that, that, that are in that role and, and we can't function as, as high school athletics without them. So, uh, right. you know, we need to, to support them just as much as, as, as they support us, you know, and, and I told when we'd have officials out for um, our spring practices, you know, I, I always made a point of it to tell our, our kids that these guys are here for us. They're not here to, to hinder us. They're here to help us, uh, you know, really be successful, you know, because of, if without them, we wouldn't be able to play the sport. Um, but I think there needs to be communications at the local levels uh, with our parents and, and student bodies and everything to let them know how we expect them to uh, handle situations at games. Yeah, coach couldn't agree more, man. I, re I really love that. I'm, I'm, I love that. Like you, you've talked about the communication amongst amongst your staff, but I love you're now going to communicate with the parents and set right. the expectation, man. I think that's awesome. All right, kind of getting to the end here. As everybody knows, I'm a jersey collector. Now, the thing you you are a true Denver Broncos fan because yes. the way my camera's positioned, you can't even really see my full jersey. <laughs> you can only maybe see just parts of it. Oh, it's Romanowski. <laughs> but yeah i've got the old late 90s uh navy and orange uh bill romanowski number 53 jersey on in your honor coach and you are a big denver broncos fan to me i'm guessing because you're up in north dakota that kind of makes i know a lot of times those guys in the dakotas they are broncos fans is that the reason right. or yeah yeah i mean growing up up there and and you had john elway i mean yep. who, else, who else would you want to cheer for you know i mean i think in my lifetime the broncos have been to four seven maybe eight, you know, maybe eight Super Bowls, you know, yeah. so, uh, yeah. I'm with you, man. No, I, I also, I wasn't necessarily a Broncos fan like you were, but I mean, I, I love John Elway and I, I've always, 
Broncos, I like. They're definitely not on one of my teams on, on my shit list okay. or anything. I like the Broncos overall, man. So you got the Broncos. You also, of course, you get your, your H-Town roots with the Astros and the Rockets. Right. But just for fun, man, Coach, as we wrap it out here, we, we all play these Mount Rushmore. So I'm going to ask you, as, as a Broncos fan, man, who is your all-time Denver Broncos Mount Rushmore? So that's your top four all-time favorite Denver uh, Broncos. Well, John Elway's number one, of course. Absolutely. Uh, Something. Uh, Terrell Davis. That's a good Shannon one. Sharp. Shannon Sharp. And then Tossa, Peyton Manning, Steve Atwater. Well, yeah, you know, man, I, I would go Atwater. Just, just for, and Manning, obviously, yeah. you won your Super Bowl, but maybe a shorter right. period of time, kind of, but like right. Atwater, like, he was mm-hmm. just, he was like a a, a, a a presence, a mood. Like people just knew they were afraid when they saw him roving down from that safety yeah. position. So yeah, man, I love that. Well, coach, man, thank you so much. Uh, if, if y'all enjoyed this as much as I did again, please take a moment, give us the five-star rating on whatever you're listening on Spotify or Apple. You can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kovo. It's coach underscore K-O-V-O. Uh, you can join the team player revolution here by hitting us up with any feedback. Uh, you can DM me on Twitter or, or email at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a story of a coach that made a difference in your life. And, uh, you know, I'll, I will reach, I will track them down. We'll set up an episode. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and ex- exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Kevin Bernithi, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, thank you to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. 